Well, big chunks of our country, including uh, us here in Hastings, taking a bit of a hammering uh, from Cyclone Gabriel. Destruction, damage, tragically even death has been uh, left in the cyclone's wake. So how will an account of Solomon building a temple nearly 3,000 years ago, recorded in 1 Kings 5, 6, and 7, how is that of any relevance to us here this morning? Well, it's my job to show you that in God's good providence, we have a helpful word from the Lord before us this morning. Uh, I planned to preach this book uh, last year, and so uh, in that planning I mapped out uh, when each passage would be preached, on what date, uh, and so this passage on this date. And I did so with two strong convictions. Our first conviction, the Lord is sovereign. Uh, he is the king. He knows the future. Uh, he's not surprised by the damage in the Hawke's Bay. Uh, he knows what we need better than we do, and he knows when we need it. Our second conviction, Romans 15 verse 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Uh, Even this passage of scripture was written so that we, Christian people, here today might have hope. Hope in the face of hardship and adversity. Uh, So my goal this morning is to help you hear God's contemporary word for us here at Hastings Baptist Church this morning as God speaks it through 1 Kings 5, 6 and 7. And you can talk to me over lunch and let me know whether we hit the mark or not. Uh, Let me remind you uh, why the author of Kings has put pen to paper. We're working our way through uh, all of 1 Kings and eventually we'll get to 2 Kings. At the end of 2 Kings, at the end of the account we find that the people of God are prisoners in a foreign land. Israel as a nation has been overrun and destroyed. All their dreams and hopes as a people, all the promises that they were holding on from God, they they all seem to be smashed to pieces. And the question that the author is asking uh, as he writes is, how did we get here? How did this tragedy happen? Is there any hope for the future? So this book wasn't written to help happy people living in luxury without a care in the world. Uh, This book was written for God's people who were broken and bewildered. So that's the big theme of uh, 1 and 2 Kings. God's people struggling in the world. But but what about our chapters focused on how to build a temple? Well, when you look at the Bible, not as 66 individual isolated books, but rather the, the Bible as a great work by God, one big story told through 66 books written by various authors. As you look at the Bible as a whole, you begin to see that actually there are major themes that run through uh, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, One scholar said that there's something like 20 major tendons running through the Bible and maybe 80 minor ones, that tie the Bible together as one big story. Themes like creation or sin or covenant or marriage or sonship, they they appear in Genesis and then we encounter them through the middle of the Bible and we find them climaxing at the end of the Bible. And one of those major tendons stretching right through the Bible is this idea of 
temple. And these chapters in 1 Kings are deeply connected to the Bible's big storyline and who we are and how we are to live as Christians through this theme of temple. So at a superficial level, uh, these are strange chapters for us right here, right now. But it's my job to show you that in God's good providence, we have a helpful word from the Lord for us this morning. Now, we'll start with uh, uh, an easy, quick stroll through the chapters to get a lie of the land. And then we'll think about this theme of of temple and how it connects with the rest of the Bible. And in so doing, uh, what the idea of temple is all about. And then with that kind of big Bible framework of temple in our minds, we'll, we'll come back to this passage and highlight some relevant issues for us. So we're looking at uh, three chapters, lots of detail, but let's get a bird's eye view and quickly walk through what's here. Chapter 5, the scene is set as Solomon explains why now is the right time to build the temple. And we'll come back to that in the the third part. But the arrangements are made for the supply of uh, timber from Lebanon, high-grade stone from the local quarries, enormous building crew organized, 30,000 conscripted laborers to help with the supply of the timber, 70,000 people doing the the lifting and the carrying. Remember, there's no trucks, there's no cranes. If you want something lifted and moved, people did it. 80,000 stone cutters, 3,300 overseeing the managing of the people in the project. Even then, 3,000 years ago, there's a management bureaucracy sitting over it all, organizing it. And of course, there'll be all the supporting uh, industries and workers. All these people need food and accommodation and transport and tools. So, so easily a few hundred thousand people working for King Solomon. Now the preparations are made in chapter 5 and we're twice reminded about Solomon's wisdom in making these arrangements But then the work begins in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1, In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. Uh, Here's a measure of how monumental this work of temple building is. The writer links it to the foundational event of the nation of Israel, the escape from Egypt. In the history line of Israel, there is the first milestone, escape from Egypt. Second milestone, build the temple. 480 years in between, don't don't worry about that. What we're meant to see is that this is a nation-forming moment, the next stage in their development. Well, in chapter 6, we get a sketch of the temple. And uh, I went to the internet found a picture for you. Nobody knows exactly what it's like, but but here's one picture that Scarlett's going to put up for us. Yep, there you go. So that's somebody's guess. I'll deal with the words. Uh, It's not a massive building. 27 metres long, 9 metres wide, 14 metres high. Uh, That would give it a footprint about the size of this auditorium, a bit narrower and maybe double the height. But it fits in here. Uh, So this isn't a massive building. And it's all carefully built out of the best stone and timber. Chapter 6, verse 7. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, with no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool being heard at the temple site while it was being built. Now, that's going to inquire 
an incredible level of building precision. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those grand design uh, building projects uh, where all the material is prepared off-site, all the, the steelwork and the concrete, whatever it is, and then they bring it to site and they fit it all together. But even with the carefulest of measurements, laser-cutting tools, there are plenty of time when the materials arrive on site and they don't quite fit And we get to see some builder with a sledgehammer telling a piece of steel where to go. Um, I'm guessing there were blocks of stone that went back and forth to the quarry before they eventually fitted into place. Imagine the guy carrying that block all that way. These are massive... Oh, it doesn't quite... can, Can we just... No, no, take it back to the quarry, chisel off a bit, bring it... Oh, you drive your nuts. Anyway, whatever the process... It's a sign of reverence and respect for the temple being built to, to operate under this no iron tool, no noise policy. I were told that the interior was completely lined with gold. It was two massive cherubim, these sort of angelic creatures, five meters high. Yeah, that's kind of more than double my height, carved from wood, covered in gold. And around the walls, more carvings of cherubim as well as palm trees and flowers. And it took seven years to build this temple. And we come to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, the account of the temple's construction, it's interrupted with a record of Solomon building himself a palace. Well, actually it reads like he built four palaces. As you see, there's a public area, uh, what's called the Palace of the Forest of Lebanon. And then if you look down a little bit further, there's a throne hall, the Hall of Justice. And then verse 8, there is Solomon's personal palace. Oh, and there's a palace for his Egyptian bride. And each of these seem to be on the same scale as each other. And each of them are a lot bigger and a lot grander than the house of the Lord. Now, if you've been following with us through earlier chapters, sandwiching the the building of the king's palace inside the account of of this temple's construction, drawing our attention to its size of these palaces, and again reminding us that Solomon has an Egyptian bride who also gets a massive palace in Jerusalem. It seems like it's a subtle but sure way of putting a big question mark next to Solomon. And his plans. Is he really completely dedicated to serving the Lord? Or are other temptations tugging away at his heart? Were the seeds of his ultimate failure starting to germinate already? Now that's a question we'll get to when we get to chapters 10 and 11. But but there's a little shadow here. Well, the rest of chapter 7 is taken up with furniture outside the temple. These two huge bronze pillars that are decorated with hundreds of pomegranates. The bronze sea, this this massive bronze cauldron, and uh, it's supported by 12 bronze bulls. And it, it sits on that, and this water is inside, and it's called a sea. It's so big. And then uh, uh, for the water's used for sort of ceremonial bits of this the temple and then there are assorted bronze basins that are movable and there's pots and shovels and sprinkling bowls and then inside the temple 
a golden altar and a table, uh, golden lampstands covered in golden floral work and golden tools and implements. And then lastly, uh, King David had organized furnishings that he wanted to be installed in the temple as well. Uh, Thanks, Scarlett. Uh, So that's a kind of whirlwind tour through chapters 5, 6, and 7. But I want to help you see how this building of the temple connects with the larger Bible story and our story as Christians. It's a massive topic. We we can't do it full justice here, but, but let me give you some of the highlights. In decorating the temple... Solomon has carved into the wall panels and adorning the bronze columns trees and flowers and fruit. And the lampstands are shaped like small trees with seven branches. And guarding the way to the Holy of Holies within the temple are two five-meter-high cherubim. And so you think to yourself, uh, trees and flowers and fruit and cherubim. The Garden of Eden. See, the the inner sanctum of the temple is a symbolic recreation of the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden, that's the the place where the first uh, water source is discussed, and what do we have? This massive cauldron of water. The Garden of Eden, the place described with good gold, we read in Genesis. The Garden of Eden was the first temple in which the first human being worshipped God. Adam was the first priest. And if we look at the idea of temple through the lens of the Garden of Eden, the purpose of the temple is, is more than a place where the sacrifices are being made. Because when Adam was first in the garden, he didn't need to make sacrifices. That garden temple was about something else. Oh, in a fallen and sinful world, sacrifices need to be made to atone for sin, but, but that atonement is just a means to an end. The end goal is being with God, being in relationship and fellowship with God. Just as the garden was the place where God walked with humanity, the temple is a picture of that relationship, that friendship with God being reclaimed restored. Uh, Just as the the tabernacle, the the portable temple, if you like, the the original version that was with the uh, Israelites in the wilderness as they traveled around, that was God dwelling with his people. So building a temple, temple is about a meeting place for God and humanity to be together. But the temple that Solomon built was only a placeholder until the true temple arrived. The true place where God and humanity meet together. We find that supremely in Jesus. Uh, When challenged by the Jewish leaders, John chapter 2, give us a sign to prove your authority. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple a second temple that replaced Solomon's, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he'd spoken about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. See, Jesus says what the temple represented, the meeting place of God and humanity, 
Jesus says he is the fulfillment of what the temple pointed to. What Solomon built out of a timber and stone was a signpost looking forward to Jesus. And through Jesus, that temple imagery is, is taken a couple of steps further in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian church, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. See, corporately, a congregation of Christian believers is a temple. When we gather, God meets with his people through his spirit. When we come together, God joins with us. And just a few chapters later, Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. See, each of us as believers, you and me, we're like a temple. Individually, we are people who have met with God in our hearts and we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And we are a meeting place of God and human beings. And so as a church or as individual Christians, if someone wants to meet with God, they can join with us as a church or talk with us as individual believers. Through the Lord Jesus, we are collectively and individually God's temple, the means, the place where people can meet God. Well, finally, in Revelation, the Bible comes full circle with the people of God reunited with God in an incredible garden city about which John writes, Revelation 21, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The picture for eternity is God dwelling with his people and in a sense, everywhere is now temple space. One more critical element to think about in terms of temple that we find in the New Testament. Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus challenges disciples at a critical moment to correctly understand who he is. Simon Peter, he answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Uh, Matthew 16, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by, by Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus the supreme son of David, the Messiah, the Christ, that is the king, Jesus says he has a building project. Now Solomon is the son of David, the king. Oh, he had a building project. But in the plot line of the Bible, what Solomon built was only a prototype. Jesus is the true king who builds. And what is it that Jesus is building? His church. Jesus uh, is the foundation stone, the, the rock on which he builds. It's truth about Jesus and the work of the apostles like Peter who proclaim the good news about Jesus. As Peter tells uh, Christians in his letter, 1 Peter 2, as you come to him, the living stone, that is Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, 
you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So as we, we come back to 1 Kings 5, 6, and 7, when we read about Solomon building a temple, the fulfillment of what we read here is to be found in Jesus. He is the true temple. And Jesus building his church, a spiritual temple, made up of living stones, Christian believers being fitted together into one body by Christ. Now again, that's a kind of whirlwind tour of the Bible, but but when we engage with the temple in 1 Kings 5, 6 and 7, we're touching on this profound idea that runs from Genesis to Revelation and, and has particular implications for Christian believers. Now, so with that big framework in mind, just let me highlight some of the key things from our passage in 1 Kings. Uh, firstly, the timing. So back in chapter 5, verse 3, uh, you know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. David couldn't build the temple because he was too busy fighting wars. We read elsewhere that he was also a warrior. He had blood on his hands. But Solomon could build because he had peace on every side. All his enemies were defeated. The right time for Solomon to build was when all the stars lined up, so to speak. No adversary, no disasters to deal with. And he's living in times of prosperity cooperation with all the other nations around him. But King Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The opposition and the enemy are still active, says Jesus, but I'm going to build my church anyway. The world hates Jesus and hates his people, but Jesus is building his church. The people of God are normal and average, not particularly powerful or wealthy, but Jesus is building his church. There is adversity, there are disasters, even earthquakes and floods, but Jesus is building his church. Solomon waited for the perfect time to get the business of building God's temple going. Christian people, there is no perfect time. Now is the right time to be building the New Testament temple, the church of God. There's no alignment of stars to indicate, oh, now's the right time to speak up for Jesus. It's always the right time to do evangelism. It's always the right time to tell people the good news about Jesus. <laughs> when things are going well, well oh, when there's peace and prosperity and comfort, we think, oh, people won't be interested. They're all happy and content. When things are going badly, like there's a natural disaster, and all oh, people will have objections, they'll be angry, there'll be questions, they'll be busy. There's never a right time. Jesus has commissioned his people to labor in the fields. He sent out messengers to herald the good news. Now is always the right time for gospel conversations. Uh, secondly, the construction. Uh, the temple construction sounds incredible. 
Yeah, a massive supply from, of timber from Lebanon. Uh, these massive stones, foundation stones, were told three or four meters high. That's bigger than that. These massive blocks. They're huge. These massive bronze sculptures. Lavish use of the finest materials. Gold everywhere. Amazing craftsmanship. We're meant to be awed by the scale and the grandeur, the extravagance and the expense. But our author, and we as his readers, we know how the story finishes. 400 years later, it's all rubble. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, less than 40 years, we see the treasures of the temple carried off by a powerful Egyptian king. And in the end, 400 years or so later, the Babylonians invade, Jerusalem's destroyed, the temple is looted, all that expensive timber is burnt, the massive stones are pulled down, Solomon's temple is completely demolished. We read in the prophets that the Israelites thought they were safe from attack because we have the temple of the Lord, all while they're worshipping idols. Stone and timber, bricks and mortar, steel and concrete. It might last for a few centuries, but none of it lasts for eternity. The Israelites imagined they were safe from God's judgment because they had a religious building. How could people around us possibly think that they are spiritually safe because they have a house or a car or a boat or whatever the best toys are? As we've tragically seen, Anyone can have all their possessions stripped away in minutes. And should you or someone avoid a disaster in life, death will remove all our possessions from us. Now, the writer of Kings doesn't want the people of God to be fooled into thinking everything would be okay if we just had an impressive religious building. We need to be clear, we bring nothing into this world. We won't be taking any toys or trinkets out of it with us. What does survive beyond the grave? Our people have been born again. People have been born of the word of Christ and the spirit of God. At work in Hastings, Napier, other disaster zones around the country, there are rescuers. Kind volunteers working hard to pull people off roofs and out of mud. Brilliant, fantastic, absolutely essential. But we also need Christian people, like you and me, to be rescuers with a gospel message that will save people for eternity. Because we are temple builders. Uh, Even temples built by King Solomon with all his wisdom, the best timbers and massive stone covered in gold, they don't last. All the material stuff around us, it doesn't last. Even our bodies don't last. It it all has an expiration date. And we need to help, help people see that and to look for something that lasts for eternity. They, they need to be built into Jesus' spiritual temple, living stone by living stone. And we have a part to play in that. Thirdly, uh, the purpose. 
uh, the goal of temple building. See, sandwiched in the middle of uh, the building work described in chapter 6 is a promise made by God. Chapter 6, verse 11, uh, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. Temple building is fundamentally about a living, dynamic relationship with the Lord. Uh, Nearly 3,000 years ago, that looked like a temple made of timber and stone, covered in gold, that only a few priests could enter on behalf of all the people. But the temple that Jesus is building offers relationship with God to each and every living stone that he incorporates into that spiritual temple. In the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews explains, this is what it means for Christian believers to have access to God. He uses temple language. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Here's what it means to be a subject of King Jesus. That is, here's what it means to have your life built into his spiritual temple. We can draw near to God with confidence, with a cleansed conscience. Come to God with a smile on your face and absolute certainty of a warm welcome. Jesus' temple building work gives believers a a deep and profound and sincere relationship with God. It's, It's like coming home. It's like walking with God in the garden. It's like being welcomed in God's, into God's presence and hear him say, Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Temple building is really about building the people of God. Adding to our number by telling others the good news about Jesus. Sustaining people in the spiritual temple by spurring them on to love and good deeds. Solomon had a massive project that he conscripted and forced people to work on. The Lord Jesus is building on a global scale. And he's inviting his people, to co-labor with him. Willing volunteers taking part in the greatest rescue mission happening in the world ever. And Jesus has a place and a role for everyone who wants to build with him and for him. Can he count on you? Will you be a gospel builder?
Let's pray together. Father, we want to give you thanks and praise that the Lord Jesus is the great builder, rescuing, restoring, putting living stone by living stone into a great spiritual temple. We thank you that we have been incorporated into that. And so we can know and dwell and interact with our God and Father with great confidence. Help us to be builders, adding, sustaining, contributing to that work. For Jesus' sake. Amen.